Good afternoon and welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and organic agriculture with people here in the state of Maine and beyond. Brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association in conjunction with WERU, your community radio station. Common Ground Radio can be heard on the second Thursday of each month at 4 p.m. here on WERU-FM. Archives of previous episodes can be found on WERU's website at weru.org, as well as on the WERU app. My name is Holly Cedarholm, and I'm your host for today for Common Ground Radio. Before I introduce today's guests, I'd like to bid a fond farewell to this program's longtime host, CJ Walk. As regular listeners already know, March marked CJ's last episode after nearly a decade. We'll certainly miss him on the airwaves. Moving forward, I, along with Caitlin Barker, who I'll be alternating with, will have the great pleasure of exploring food and farming topics with you all. Today, I'm going to talk about local food and seasonal eating with guests Roberta Bailey, Frank Giulio, and Wendy Watson. Hello, and welcome to Common Ground Radio. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show today. Before we jump into all things spring and all the delicious foods of spring, I wanted to share a bit about each of today's guests and you all are welcome to chime in afterwards and share anything I may have missed, but start off with Roberta. Roberta Bailey grows much of her food on Seven Tree Farm in Vassalboro, Maine. She has eaten with the season since the late 70s and writes about it in the Harvest Kitchen column in the quarterly publication of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, which many people know as MOFCA. The publication is called the Maine Organic Farmer and Gardener. We also have Frank Giulio, who resides in Lincolnville and serves as the kitchen production manager at Air Rat Farms, also in Lincolnville. He makes a wide variety of prepared foods, condiments, and ferments for their farm stand, and you may have also seen some of the things he makes at the United Farmers Market in Belfast. And last but not least, we have Wendy Watson, who is a longtime supporter and member of MOFCA and currently works on staff as the organization's kitchen manager, as well as the food liaison for the Common Ground Country Fair, which MOFCA hosts annually in September. She has a passion and background in herbal medicine and the culinary arts as a former chef and caterer. Wendy tends a large home garden and produces much of her family's food, herbs, and fruits for fresh eating and preserving the harvest. So you all bring such a wide variety of seasonal cooking experiences to the table. I thought we'd start by talking about how each of you came to cooking and to cooking using local ingredients. Well, I grew up with a mother who insisted that every dinner had a yellow and a green vegetable and um, a father who loved to garden. Um, And when I was in my teen, my late teens, I sort of joined the back to the land movement and started building log cabins and canoes and growing food. And I quickly discovered that food out of your own garden is sweet and it the the sugars that are naturally there um 
haven't turned to carbohydrates, which happens once, you know, once they're picked, they start to turn to carbohydrates. And I've been addicted to that fresh flavor my entire adult life. So my background goes kind of way back to my family of origin. I had a father who was a an avid vegetable gardener and a mother who was both an indoor and outdoor um, plant person and perennial gardener. So I kind of got genes from both sides of the family and I've been growing uh, ever since, but um, sometimes it was something as small as a patio deck garden living in an urban setting, or it might be a full-on market garden um, when I had a lot of land when we were first living here in Morrill, Maine. Um, and I came to food um, earlier in terms of just professional work um, in the Boston area and was part of the Women's Culinary Guild, um, probably when Roberta Bailey was coming to Maine and doing the back to land. Um, I was um, working in Boston restaurants and um, cooking and starting to cater, but um, after several years, I decided to do a complete about face into environmental education, which is what my degree is in, but I've always had this lifelong love of food and growing food. And, um, and I, I agree with Roberta, just growing locally and growing it yourself, you just can't beat it. And, um, you know, one of my first cookbooks, I think that I bought was like the Moosewood cookbook and, um, and Julia Child and grew up with uh, some of those folks. But um, now it's just a, a love and a passion. And I'm just happy to be here today to share some of that. Thanks, Wendy. I, I love the Moosewood cookbooks. Those are still classics. I always um, find something great to cook out of them. Um, I grew up in Southern Connecticut and probably um, a completely different lifestyle than where I live today, where um, I grew up with Italian American family and my dad did have a, a small garden, mostly, you know, cucumbers, tomato and eggplant, um, maybe some basil, but um, that's what I remember as a kid and was relatively picky eater. But at, at 15, I really wanted to, well, got a job and landed in a kitchen and sort of never left um, through uh, being over 40 now. But um, I did culinary school thing. And uh, basically around the mid 2000s, I made a, a drastic uh, dietary change and stopped eating meat and dairy products and went vegan for about four years. Um, and when I decided that it was time to actually incorporate more animal products into my lifestyle, into my diet. Um, I really wanted to have more of a say of what or knowledge of where those ingredients came from. And that sort of, I guess I would have been around 30. Um, I started to look at uh, buying directly from farms and then starting a family and buying a homestead and, and um, really taking part in as much of the food sourcing and, and, uh, growing as I could and building those relationships with the local farms around me in Waldo County, especially. Um, and it just sort of like dove deeper into that. And, you know, I guess over a decade in now, um, there's so much that I just, it's become more of a lifestyle than it is of just wanting to eat these foods and, 
you know, clearly we could, I can go to the grocery store or the co-op and buy eggplant any time of the year and make eggplant parm, but there's something different when you're growing that or buying that eggplant directly from somebody at the height of the season and um, making your breadcrumbs and maybe knowing the cheese producer who's and growing the tomatoes to make your sauce and suddenly without necessarily trying to, um, all these ingredients are coming together to make up most of, of a meal on a daily basis. And, and now with two boys um, who like to participate in the gardening and we hunt and we fish and um, it really is like brought it all together. Um, and we just enjoy that part of, of food producing as a lifestyle. And it's uh, just deepens that connection to our ingredients. Thanks, Frank. That leads me to thinking about the food returning. So many of us who eat locally and seasonally have been eating out of our root cellars for our produce or, you know, the things we've put by, but spring is here, which I'm very excited about. And that means the return to increased ingredient diversity, whether that's coming out of our own gardens or um, what's available at the farmer's market or farm stands. I would love to know what spring food or foods that each of you is most excited about? Um, I'll start. This is Roberta. I've, I'm watching the, the nettles outside. They're just getting their first true leaves coming up. So I'm excited about nettles. They're so rich in, in minerals and can feed our winter weary bodies so well. Um, I do have a high tunnel, so I'm eating spinach and cilantro and lettuce right now and some chives and parsley from my high tunnel. But I'm also looking forward to asparagus. I know it's a little mm. ways off, but I, uh, I, right now I start wanting my asparagus. And when it comes, I eat asparagus every day. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, when it comes, you have to harvest it every day, or else it'll become more fern-like than you you want for culinary purposes. Um, right. It's. I'm going to jump in here. Uh, I'm lucky to work on a farm, and we have uh, high tunnels and, and greenhouses to sort of boost that season a little faster than uh, just waiting for the ground to thaw. Uh, but right now, we had we planted a bunch of sorrel um, last year in the side of our high tunnel. And so that's become a, a sort of green that's available now. And we do microgreens and pea shoots. Um, but last week I made uh, potato and sorrel soup. And, you know, it's like every week it's beets and carrots and parsnips and rutabaga and getting a little stale. And so trying to, um, one, lighten up our diets because all winter long it's cold and we want to stay warm. And so we're eating those hearty, rich meals. And, you know, I think for me, my body just wants to like lighten the load of what I'm eating. And so salads finally become something that I want and, and the light green vegetables as much as we can incorporate now sort of helps get our bodies into that spring mode. But um, nettles are certainly a favorite. And every spring, I think for the last many years, I always make nettle gnocchi and that's like a springtime sort of celebration of this ingredient that I only get for a short window of time, unless I dry some for winter tea or that kind of thing. Um, 
I love fiddleheads. Um, and those are definitely a special ingredient to add. And, um, and even going back to root vegetables, I do love the uh, spring dug parsnips that'll come out of the ground. And I know uh, uh, good friends of mine, Mark and Marsha at Piecemeal Farm in Dixmont, they, they sell a lot of spring dug parsnips. So I'll hit the market and uh, usually pick up like a 25 pound bag from them and, and add that to the mix of sort of the last hurrah of the root crops until uh, the new harvest comes later on in the year. Great, and I too have, um... You know, a love of all things green in the spring. I just think that um, after a, a long winter um, of being fortunate enough that we have um, other people around us that have high tunnels. Um, where I live, we've just received a grant for one, but we haven't had um, the opportunity to put it up yet. So we're still a little ways off from growing our own greens. Um, but uh, I did, I did take a little. Um, Kind of look see out there in the garden in the last few days to see what's emerged and um, we have a, an ever-expanding <laughs> patch of nettles that usually needs to be ringed in at some point because it starts it's in a corner of the garden and it can quickly um, take over other garden beds if I don't um, keep it well harvested and I you know one of the simplest things even though I, I love putting nettles in whatever I would put greens in. So it could be soup, it could be a stir fry, but there's just something about the simplicity and the absolute joyful taste of fresh nettle tea. And I'll just pick you know a good bunch of it and just um, boil some water, um, turn it off, add the fresh nettles and just let it sit sometimes for an hour, sometimes two hours. And it just is this beautiful color and it just, the flavor just reminds me of spring. It's just so vegetal. And it makes a great broth for soup um, as a base um, as well. Um, and, you know, my asparagus, which I absolutely love as well. Um, we have a purple variety, isn't coming up yet, but uh, the rhubarb is, and which I love as another spring um, crop that can be used both savory and sweet. And I actually have a, kind of a craving for more of the savory um, than, than the sweet when it comes to that. Um, I'm thinking of like combining it, um, you know, maybe with um, a braise of chicken or something like that. And it lends this nice tart flavor and cooks down. Um, and I'm still trying to use up things in my root cellar as well. Um, so, but I try to brighten it up with some of those spring greens like nettles or spinach um, and the sort. And of course, my chives are already coming up as other people's are right now. They're one of the first things. My tarragon is just barely, because that's a pretty early um, fresh herb, which I really love to use and just about anything when it's really fresh. And um, so I'm relying on the farmer's market for all those high tunnel greens. Um, and in my garden, I just dug some of my first spring parsnips and I'm like, I've got to do a better job at um, bed preparation for those parsnips because they, they look more like little UFOs rather than nice, long, <laughs> long, deep rooted uh, parsnips, like the kind that piecemeal grows. So, um, but I'm sure they'll still be tasty. 
I think it sounds like we might all be in agreement that nettles are the most awaited food of spring. That's also on the top of my list. I hesitate to call it a sog, but it's a sog inspired dish. I like to make nettles with sort of like a curry coconut broth infusion and then either put tofu or some sort of cheese in it. And I could eat that every day until the nettles disappear. Well, they don't ever disappear until they get bigger and woodier and I'm not eating them anymore. In talking about wild foods and in case we're inspiring people to think about nettles, I wanted to give sort of a harvesting PSA. When you're doing wild harvesting, just make sure you know that you're, you've identified your plant correctly. It's always good to to have that locked down before you start eating foods that you're unaware of. And especially make sure you have permission to, to, these are the rules I'm sort of telling myself, um, make sure you have permission to forage where you are and that you're not near roadsides or other places that could be contaminated. And I think another thing that I've been thinking about a lot, because I do do foraging in the spring, especially is that there's sort of a complicated knowledge for me that many of our forage foods are traditional foods for the Wabanaki people of what is now called Maine and just kind of acknowledging and honoring those traditions of the foods my own way. And I think that's, again, like not over harvesting ramps, which are another big spring tree or fiddleheads. Those are some things I'm thinking about. I don't know if there are other things you all think about when you're foraging in the spring. Make sure you have long sleeves and sturdy gloves when harvesting mm. petals. <laughs> um, Attitude. I think um, whenever you're harvesting something, it's important to acknowledge the plant and to be grateful for where it comes from and, and how it's going to nourish us. I'm going to reintroduce our listeners at this point. You are listening to Common Ground Radio on WERU. On today's show, we are talking about seasonal eating, and my guests are Roberta Bailey of Seven Tree Farm, Frank Giulio of Air Rat Farms, and Wendy Watson of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Since this is a pre-recorded show, we are not taking calls. Everyone was very enthusiastic about their favorite spring food. I'm wondering if there are other dishes that um, you all didn't um, share that you've been kind of excited to eat a lot of or things that you're looking forward to cooking in the coming weeks as more and more foods come available. Um, I'll jump in with a couple that I know I like. Um, one I tend to eat when we egg productions tends to get come back. Um, I love making either quiches or frittatas that are just super simple and just nice and light and adding different greens and the chives can go in there. And um, that's a fun dish to make um, some preserves. I have one, I usually end up in Western Maine um, every, usually around May. And I go to a farm called the Zinskit Farm in Turner. And they're the only place I know that has goose eggs. And I always make uh, cured goose yolks, which is sort of just, I bury the egg yolks in salt and then I let them sit for about a week and then I air dry them till they lose a certain percentage of weight. And then I use that uh, to kind of grate over different pasta dishes or sauteed veggies. Um, and it has like a, a cheesy quality. And that's sort of just a, a spring food that I like to uh, incorporate. And then um, 
sort of as I'm awaiting uh, Napa cabbage to come out and be available, um, I will make a kimchi using invasive uh, knotweed leaves while those are uh, still young and tender. So sort of getting those kimchi flavors that I like, but the, all the ingredients sort of aren't available yet. So we're just sort of adapting the technique with um, uh, just different ingredients and the, the knotweed leaves add a nice little texture and, and taste to that. Does anyone else cook with knotweed? That's one that I feel like we don't have to fear over harvesting. I think our public service is harvesting. So I'm curious if there are other ideas for knotweed. Well, I'll jump in more. You could kind of, I mean, it's great that they have that rhubarb like taste. So you could really just completely substitute um, your rhubarb or in combination with rhubarb. Um, I've had them again as uh, like Wendy said, savory kind of add those to the egg dishes um, or just, you know, make a, a rhubarb knotweed crumble or crisp type of recipe and uh, incorporate both of those. But usually I said harvest the knotweed when it's, you know, eight inches or so above the ground and not letting it get too woody. Um, and then just using a knife to just kind of slice them off a couple inches off the ground. But they're a nice little little treat. I'll have to try that. The root, the roots can be used um, as you can make a tincture of the roots to help um, help with Lyme disease issues. Uh, Stephen Buner writes quite a bit about, about that. Um, it's really, really difficult to dig Japanese knotweed roots. You yeah. need a crowbar and yeah. to choose small plants even then. <laughs> And a sledgehammer to smash them up because they're pretty <laughs> yeah. tough. But it's amazing how a uh, uh, invasive plant like knotweed, I mean, pretty much you see it everywhere. And uh, as invasive as Lyme disease and ticks are in Maine, we have a great medicine to uh, provide us with some ailment to that, to that issue that's just a part of our environment in New England and now beyond. Yes. So I'll share um, a couple of fermented things that are favorites of mine. And it, I have a little bit different spin on um, the kimchi, but there is a um, there is also a, a dandelion greens kimchi that I love to make with other, um, you know, if you're lucky enough to have some burdock root and you can identify that easily, you can dig that up and slice it and put it in there as well as the dandelion root and some other fresh local radishes um, and even cilantro. Um, and I, I start craving kind of those spring tonic foods mm -hmm. after, you know, the root cellar and, you know, last year's um, sauerkraut, which I still love, but uh, there's just something about being able to be outside foraging for fresh wild edibles and foods um, that then you can ferment and kind of really um, double all that probiotic goodness. And uh, so it's, it's just so tasty. And another simple thing um, that can be done with dandelions as well is just um, 
uh, is making some just fresh garlic confit. And so if you have a lot of garlic left over after the winter, like I still do, I mean, I'm, I'm probably gonna be able to use it all up, but I certainly have enough for a recipe of this. Um, you would just peel um, whole garlic cloves and then um, cover it about half times over with some um, oil and cook it over low heat until they start to mellow and get um, kind of nice garlic smell like 25 or 30 minutes and then you strain it and then mash up the garlic and then you can put in your um, your foraged um, dandelion greens that you've rinsed and chopped and so you just saute your dandelion greens with this yummy kind of mashed um, garlic confit that's um, very simple but really nourishing and I imagine it would also be delicious with some nettles in there too. So those are that, just a couple of thoughts. That sounds really delicious. It reminds me, Roberta, as we mentioned earlier, is a columnist for the main organic farmer and gardener. And she just wrote a nice column about wild spring recipes and had a few dandelion recipes in there, including, I think, dandelion root fries and maybe a blossom tempura. Yes, I eat pretty simply. Um, Right now I'm harvesting dandelion greens out of the high tunnel and just add, you know, if I'm not, I eat them right there because they're so sweet and not very bitter this early. But I really like to just add them into, you know, chop them up and add them into, into my salads that I'm eating. Or I keep thinking about I love the transition from winter to spring foods and and how there's this slow progress of, you know, maybe your stir fry has a few chives or a few spring herbs or greens, and then slowly, slowly you transition into having whole meals of spring food. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a very, I don't know, I guess I think of it as magical, but it's just a beautiful transition that, I never get tired of watching from spring, you know, that those early first little chives in your rice or something like that going onward. I think we're so lucky. I grew up pretty much lived most of my life in New England. And I think it's so special that living in New England, we get to see those major transitions into all the seasons. And um, spring is definitely one that it just feels so uplifting um, to just come out of that like cold, dark um, time period. And then suddenly it's like, there's more light. There's more we could do outside with sunlight and the ingredients bounce back. And uh, yeah, it's such a wonderful time of the year that we don't necessarily see in Arizona or Florida or California. Um, Cause it just sort of all blends into one sometimes. I like the idea of the, the, heralding the spring and the slow transition of bringing on new ingredients it feels like a a subtle celebration that just builds and then when the gardens riot you can really bring home the party i'm thinking you all seem like you prepare for the the winter though in terms of eating you to keep that the garden foods and the you know the local foods feeding you and nourishing you through the winter so i'm wondering with the growing season right upon us what kind of planning and planting are you doing so you can 
maybe share some of the things that you like to preserve for the year or things that you know that you're working on in the garden right now to make sure you fill your root cellar? Well, I just uh, wrapped up my, and this sort of, to me, feels like the beginning of the growing season. I just wrapped up my maple production. Um, I live on a property with another family. And so um, I do, we have a little sugar bush here and a sugar shack and I make syrup for myself and the other family that lives on the land and um, just getting to the point where I'm cleaning up all the buckets and that kind of thing and, and wrapping up, but, um, you know, putting up five or six gallons of syrup and 10 or so pounds of sugar. Um, that sort of is a big part for me to begin the, the summer season. And, uh, obviously I love producing my own maple syrup. And so that's sort of a big, important part, um, and having enough to, to last the year because it's not necessarily an inexpensive ingredient to buy. And, um, and so that's a start. Um, I definitely, I tend to, well, I look out that I work on a farm, so I have access to a lot of ingredients and I do have my own garden that I like to tend. And so there's a mix of extra. I try not to grow so much of the same foods that we have on the farm or different varieties um, so, um, or if I specifically know I want to make kimchi for the fall, I'll grow those specific ingredients in my own garden so I could put that up. But, um, definitely, um, making sauerkraut and, uh, kimchi and, um, you know, even dried green powders in small quantities, uh, is a fun thing that I like to participate in and, and drying culinary herbs and, uh, medicinal herbs. So, um, calendula and lemon balm and lemon verbena um the parsley is as best as i can and and um trying to think of what else sage and thyme those are all or growing rosemary outside and then bringing them inside for the winter um those are some of the stuff i like to have and of course tomato sauce or just tomato puree is a big one that i like to can um i've gotten into canning, um, pressure canning meat or fish, um, for the, um, winter. And then I think canned corn as simple as it is, is definitely one that I like love to have on hand. Um, and there's something about that, that beats it coming out of the freezer, but I just love pouring it into a pot and heating it up and having a little butter in there and, and having some, some corn for the winter. Um, curious about the the powdered greens so is that something like kale or spinach like what is it and what do you do with it yeah I mean it could be um you know you go to the health food stores and you look at the um supplement section there's always green powders and they become like a real popular thing to add and um I like to just have my own versions of that and sometimes they just get mixed with salt and maybe I'll add uh, dried seaweeds to that um, even dried mushrooms that I powder up. And so you end up with this kind of savory salt, uh, especially um, in the spring. Uh, spruce tips are really fun to add to the mix and you could just chop all these things up and sort of they're just like a green powder. And I don't do so much of the green smoothies, but I know some people like to do that. And so having those powders, you could just add in or even, you know, if you have chicken stock, you just heat that up and you add a couple scoops of the powder and a little bit of miso and you have like a nice little, little soup. That's just quick and easy. 
That sounds great. You certainly sound like you have a full, a full larder each winter. I try. <laughs> I do a similar thing with um, parsley and I, I've done it with basil, but it's not, it's just not as appealing otherwise because it tends to oxidize, but I'll take the fresh herb and I, I like to do parsley just because it's, you know, I can only use so much of it when it's fresh and, and it will come back the next year, but typically it's going to be ready. It's a biennial. So it's going to be ready to flower pretty early the next year. But if you harvest it in the fall, um, I just process it in my food processor with some olive oil. And then um, I put it into small ice cube trays and freeze it. And then I pop them out and put them in a plastic bag, keep them in the freezer. And so when I'm cooking, you know, soup, stew, sauce, just about anything, I can pop those in there. And you can really do that with a lot of culinary herbs. So either drying, like um, Frank was saying, or processing them with butter um, and also freezing them that way. And so that's another delicious thing you can use on top of fish or, you know, other kinds of protein or rice. Um, but I, I have too a long list of things that I like to grow and put by. Um, I grow a lot of culinary herbs as well as medicinal herbs. And I like to dry them um, throughout the season as they're becoming um, ready to harvest. And, and one of my favorites is Tulsi or sacred basil. And I've been growing that from seed because I just, um, I like growing a lot of it because I put it, um, I, I basically have a, a batch of kombucha going every single week. Um, and, and I always use sacred basil in there. It's just got a lovely aroma and taste that's just unlike regular basil. Um, and so that's a really nice thing. And I too grow like the, I have lemon verbena and um, that I will not really overwinter well in the house like uh, rosemary does, but um, it's great for harvesting throughout the season and using that in teas as well as kombucha. Um, and, you know, just flower petals, I put those in my kombucha as well during the growing season. Um, and then dry a lot of these same herbs for teas in the winter. And, and in the wintertime, when I'm making my kombuchas, I'm just putting those dried herbs in there as well. Um, I love making herbal vinegars. Um, that's another thing that I can do um, at peak season with dill and tarragon, chive blossoms, um, and basil. I love using the opal basil. It just turns this really deep purple color. And it's just such a shot of like summer flavor on your salads and to perk up a dish that you're cooking with. So I do a lot of those. I like making my own herb blends. Um, and then I put up um, peppers in a lacto-fermented hot sauce, um, so a combination. And this fall, I experimented with doing like a, a pickled roasted red sweet pepper strips. And I have those in the refrigerator, and they're just lovely to just add a little pop to your cooking. I also put up a lot of pickles uh, for the winter, as well as sauerkraut. And, and one of my favorite things to do, in addition to what... Um, Frank was mentioning about tomatoes. I like just roasting a huge tray of them. Um, I'll cut them up into quarters or halves, depending upon the size. And I throw a bunch of peeled garlic over it and some chopped up onion. And then I throw some basil in there, drizzle it with olive oil, and then I roast it in the oven. And once it cools, um, I can make a sauce out of it. Or sometimes when I'm short on time, I just 
also put those in the freezer and then I can put them as a base for soup or stews. And then one other thing that I love to do and always have on hand, um, I love to sun dry um, tomatoes. And um, there's a, it's a pretty simple recipe that I um, put together is, um, then they're easily made into a sun-dried marinated tomato that you can do during the winter and you rehydrate the dried tomatoes with some vinegar, strain that off and then just add more garlic and herbs and um, some olive oil. And it keeps in the refrigerator and you can use them in pasta or sauces or soups and stews. So I try to do things that, you know, I know I love and will eat a lot of, and I make a lot of so that I can carry me through the winter. Um, so I can remember those sunny summer days in, in the middle of winter. One of the things that I do with herbs is I just take a canning jar, a wide mouth canning jar or a a quart yogurt container and just put the fresh leaves, just keep packing them in the jars and freeze them that way. And then in winter time, um, I'll, you, you could just literally take out basil leaves or um, Thai basil and put it right into, you can crumble it, crumble the frozen leaves right over your salads or your or your stir fries or any dish that you're using them in. Um, the basils do get darker, but so what? <laughs> They're great, they taste great and they taste really fresh and, and wonderful. And with parsley, I just chop it up and I fill gallon freezer bags full of it and freeze it for the winter. You know, so some, I, I used to make a lot of pesto and, the, and it was very specifically, you know, that I had to use those ingredients for pesto. So now I, um, I'll blend up basil and garlic with the oil and just leave that, or I'll do parsley and garlic and oil and freeze those. And that way they're, they're more diverse. You can use them in your soups or any of your other cooking that you're doing throughout the winter. Um, I love to put some herbs in honey, like the Tulsi. I love to put Tulsi in honey and then you have flavored herbs. And depending on, you know, if you have an herb that you love, try putting it in honey and see if you like it in tea or it becomes the tea. You know, I'll drink Tulsi honey water in the winter time and it's absolutely delicious. Um, I too do a lot of lacto fermenting of um, pepper. I grow a lot of hot pepper seed crops for uh, on my farm, and so I have a lot of pulp that I can use. Far more, um, actually, my chickens eat most of it, but I do use a little bit for lacto fermentation. And my favorite thing to do is take a big bunch of cilantro, a bunch of pepper, pulp, and um, and garlic and just blend them up with uh, the, uh, the right amount of salt. You know, it's very little salt that you actually need. And, um, and then just blend it up and put it into a jar and cover. Sometimes I'll cover that with, um, I have a plastic mesh or just even a piece of saran or a plate that fits in there just to keep everything kind of submerged and just 
I let it sit on the counter for about a week and let it ferment and then I put it into the refrigerator and I have ferments that are three years old and they're great I mean they're at a point where they're they're incredibly stable I'm really surprised by how well the quality lasts I for me like some of the sauerkraut and things like that it starts to soften as it as it gets older but the pepper ferments really are stable i like that a lot um one of the things that i do too i know um is to you know in the middle of the summer i'm really busy and i've got raspberries and blueberries coming in and i just throw them in gallon bags sometimes i pre-measure them so that I know exactly how much I have. And then in, then in the winter or the late fall or even in January and February, I'll pull them out and I make my juices or jams or pies and things like that then. So you don't have to do it. You know, it's a way to buy some time. You don't always have to be right on top of those raspberries every day. You can just keep throwing them in a bag. <laughs> But I have, I fill four freezers, a root cellar, and a, a big pantry every winter to go through the winter. Um, but I'm always looking forward to spring and the, the coming greens as well, and the new, the renewal of the cycles. You are listening to Common Ground Radio on WERU Community Radio. My guests on the show are local and seasonal food enthusiasts, Roberta Bailey, Frank Giglio, and Wendy Watson. Since this is a pre-recorded show, we are not taking calls. I um, am very inspired by all of, not only all of the hard work that goes into all of the food preserving you all are doing, but just like the sheer creativity. I know for myself, as you get more and more into food preserving and you realize what you eat and what you don't eat, you start to sort of adapt what you're putting by. Like Roberta, you were talking about your pesto. You're like, well, I don't actually need to put pine nuts and Parmesan in that. I can you know, do that after the fact. I'm wondering for folks who might not um, be at that level of food preserving, what are some easy entry level foods that people might be inspired to try either by preserving things from their garden or buying the ingredients locally. I think pesto is usually like an entry level sort of food preserving thing since often people might not have the space or the equipment. Like I know I don't have a root cellar right now. So I'm wondering about those entry level, easy sort of foods to preserve for folks who might be just starting to stock up for the winter this year. Uh, I wanted to mention, we sort of all touched upon it, um, these ingredients in different ways, and we all have our own techniques that we've adapted over the years, but um, there's some just basic ingredients, how much they could transform the foods we eat and add diversity, and that's um, honey, salt, uh, oils, um, and even vi and vinegar. Um, those ingredients, you know, honey doesn't necessarily go bad. Salt doesn't go bad. Vinegar lasts a long time. Um, and so just taking your apple cider vinegar and adding chive blossoms just adds a nice seasonal touch and gives a little bit extra flavor than the vinegar already has on its own. Um, and making, um, I love, it was mentioned Tulsi honey, 
Um, it's such a wonderfully uh, aromatic herb. And I love just uh, putting that into Tulsi and letting it hang out for a couple of weeks or so, um, adds so much flavor. And there's subtle recipes, but they still incorporate those in seasonal ingredients and they add a, a nice diversity to your, um, your sort of uh, recipe collection at home. And you don't have to do a lot of work. You know, I love canning and I've adapted pressure canning, but obviously you have to have a little more, um, you can't just throw ingredients in a pot and, and can it. You got to know about the pH and the timing and that kind of thing. So it takes some more time and effort and not everybody wants to sit over a hot pot of boiling water for 20 minutes or so in the middle of the summer. So using those uh, base ingredients, you could really sort of diversify your uh, sort of pantry um, just by preserving in, in vinegar and, and uh, honey and salt. I would agree. I think, you know, there's a lot that um, even just fresh herbs can bring to your cooking that a lot of people don't use, or maybe they don't use very much of it. And, and for me, you know, that's, you know, right from the very beginning, when I first started growing things, I had an herb garden because that was um, the place that it was simplest for me and didn't require a lot of space when I didn't have my own place to have a full-on garden. Um, I mean, I really could just grow some herbs and pots on a back deck, you know, as long as you had some sun. Um, and so you can use them fresh, which is great, but, you know, they dry easily too. I mean, you can it's best if you dry them in a warm place with good air circulation. I mean, you can hang them with like maybe inside a paper bag just so that the light won't, um, you know, deteriorate the product. But there's just something so satisfying to me about growing something as simple as herbs, you know, culinary herbs, or even some of the medicinal herbs like we've been mentioning, and then just using it fresh and, and drying it, and then using it in your cooking. Um, and so I always encourage people to experiment because maybe, maybe you don't use a lot of tarragon, but it's a perennial and it grows around here and it grows well. And it has a lovely, almost licorice-like flavor um, that in an herbal vinegar, it's, it's delightful um, because it adds a unique flavor um, to your salads or whatever you're cooking. Um, the same thing with the basil vinegar, um, has more flavor and the chive is, is subtle, but, but still of the Allium family. So those are all ways I think that are really um, simple, um, kind of easy entry level places to, to kind of kick up your, um, your cooking notch a little bit. And, and I would also just encourage people to, um, to, to venture into um, a little lacto fermentation. Um, I mean, pickles and sauerkraut, if, you know, it may be intimidating at first, but um, they're, they're pretty, there's some pretty basic rules and about, you know, your ratio of salt to water, but you're basically making a salt water brine and then you're covering your vegetables with it. And so pickles, they're just like, they're so simple, but yet I don't want it to make it sound like, well, you just go in as a, you know, and you just kind of throw some salt and water and pour it over but because you do need to have that like 5% um, and 
probably Frank knows right off the top of his head, um, the, the measurements, but it's usually like, I think it's like a tablespoon for a quart. Um, and so you don't need to have a huge crock that you have in the back corner. That's, you know, 20 gallons or even five gallons. You can, you can actually put up um, a lacto fermentation like sauerkraut or pickles in a quart or a couple of quarts or even one of those tall um, half gallon ball jars. And um, so you don't need to take up a lot of space, but it might, I would encourage people to just start small and uh, you just wanna make sure your ferment is covered um, with liquid and um, you just check on it while it's um, kind of percolating away on the back corner of your counter. I would also say that if you have no way of fermenting or drying or processing food, just start with eating fresh food, whether it's food, you know, and if you have no place to garden, um, Maine is a Maine is an exciting place to be right now because there's so many people who do have high tunnels. You can get local spinach, you can get local food, you can get tofu that's, that's locally made. There's so many things that you can get. And I also agree with Wendy that um, putting fresh herbs on a salad is, you know, just makes, or onto anything, just makes those flavors pop. I mean, people think I'm a good cook. It's not really true. I'm a very simple cook, but I throw fresh herbs on everything. <laughs> and and um, you can get, you can get a lot of mileage out of that. Um, the other thing that I would say, um, you know, is that we have, there are CSAs, there's farmer's markets now, there's <laughs> you know, stores and there's so much local food now that um, it's a great place to start. You can, you can grow your own food or you can, you can go out and get it fairly easily. One of the things though I did want to, did want to say is that um, if you leave, if you have a garden and you grow garlic, if you leave a few heads of garlic in the ground in a, in a spot where you can leave them from year to year, they will just keep multiplying and multiplying on their own and they will become a little patch of garlic chives and those are those start to pop up right around now right around the same time as regular chives do and um and then they get these really tiny little bulbils on them that are great to throw into soups or stir fries and and different different things or into vinegar or things like that too. So that's a fun little thing that you can do is just leave a head of garlic in the ground and watch it turn, watch it evolve over the years. Roberta, I'm just gonna say that having been a dinner guest, I think you're um, underselling your capabilities as a cook. I think there's more than fresh herbs going on there, but thank you for the, <laughs> you. the, the garlic chives tip. You also started talking about some of the wealth of what Maine specifically has to offer in terms of local eating. And Frank, you spoke to this a lot with the goose eggs and the different meats that you're preserving. And we've spent most of our time together talking about produce, but I'm wondering 
in the little bit of time we have left, what other things you all might be excited about in terms of the season? Frank mentioned maple syrup, but Maine is also kind of like, or it was the grain belt of the Northeast and that's a resurgence. Fresh milk is happening now that it's lambing and kidding season. Um, there's yeah, lots of things to celebrate. So I'm wondering if there are other non-vegetal things you're looking forward to in the spring and summer months. My meat chickens are arriving soon. <laughs> so <laughs> I always raise chickens and turkeys. So I'm looking forward to them coming, my little peeps. And um, a roast chicken in the middle of the winter that you've grown yourself is very delicious in very many ways. Well, I think another um, area that you touched on, um, Holly, would be um, just the amazing dairies and creameries that we have in the state of Maine. We're so fortunate. Um, in my community, we just had five baby lambs born. And uh, so we're they're milking their, their offspring, but at some point when, um, when they're weaned, then we'll have an opportunity to have some fresh goat's milk. Um, I love either making fresh goat cheese and not everyone, I mean, you can make a simple, um, you know, lemon juice and um, goat cheese, I mean, goat milk, sorry, um, cheese, and it just coagulates and then you strain it and you can, and again, use just fresh herbs and some salt and pepper um, and make a really simple chev. But um, there's so many great other, um, as I said, farms and creameries around the state that are producing just tremendously beautiful raw milk and a lot of delicious dairy products, you know, hard cheeses, soft cheeses, goat cheeses, you know, cow's milk cheeses. Um, you know, you could probably eat something different, you know, every day of the week. And so, um, you know, it's definitely another love of mine, even if I'm not making it, I certainly, there's a lot of great farms and creameries to support um, in, in our area and in the state of Maine. Thanks, Wendy. I'm lucky enough to live on a piece of property that has 25 acre of wild blueberries. And so that in the summertime, driving through the blueberry fields and my kids will hop out of the car and they'll get on all fours and act like a bear and they'll just ch yeah. chow and chow and chow. And um, they're great because they do freeze well and I'm still eating wild blueberries um, now. But uh, when they're fresh and you could just pick those uh, right off the plant and eat them, those are pretty special. Um, I love the simplicity of food. And I think when you eat, incorporate a lot of different ingredients, even something as simple as chives, it just adds more sort of diversity to the things you eat. So something that you might eat often, um, like a, a quiche, if you incorporate different ingredients throughout the year, it makes it seem more complicated than it is because you're adding all these different ingredients, but really it's just like, you have the technique down and you're just adding what comes available at that time of the year. And I think, um, you know, for people just getting started, trying, just trying new ingredients and branching off of the, I tease my dad cause he likes stir fry 
but it's like if it doesn't have these set ingredients then he doesn't make the stir fry and you know if you don't have a snow pea you could add a snap pea and if it doesn't have you don't have snap peas you could use a green bean and they add different textures and different flavors but they still sort of you know i think just branching off of what you see in the cookbook recipe um and sometimes that just means taking a chance of um you know and we i have a lot of failures sometimes with food that i make like "Eh, i don't know that i'll make that one again but um just branching off of the norm and um just adds makes things more fun and breaks the monotony of like yeah like roberta said when it's asparagus season it's asparagus every day until it's gone what i love about seasonal eating is you hit that point that you're like maybe tired of the asparagus but then the season's gone and it's on to something new. So it's not like going to the grocery store and buying asparagus every day of the year, no matter where you are. Um, I think it's just a nice thing to just incorporate what's available and eat it while you can. Um, and obviously we could preserve some things, but um, fiddleheads, you can make pickles and that kind of thing, but really I like them fresh. And when the season's over, I'm done with them and uh, kind of don't want to see them again until the spring comes the following year. Um, and so you get your fill while it can. I think that's a great place to, to stop today in our conversation about local and seasonal eating in Maine. I'd like to thank each of our guests for being here today. Thanks so much for joining Frank, Wendy, and Roberta. This has been Common Ground Radio. Thanks for tuning in to our show today. Common Ground Radio can be heard on the second Thursday of each month at 4 p.m. right here on WERU Community Radio. Archives of previous episodes can be found on weru.org, as well as on the WERU app. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more great programming.